0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 10.45 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. I'm up here this morning with a thankful heart, aren't you? Amen. Thankful to be here. I was, uh, I was just in the back and I'm listening to the worship uh, that's happening here and, and uh, my heart was filled with all kinds of praise, but I'm thankful for uh, the, the worship that is happening in this place. Aren't you? For AJ and the team, but for glad hearts. Are you looking around at all during the worship? I mean, I know we're looking for his face, but there's times it feels like God's about to rip the roof off, right? And just take us all. And uh, some of you are already halfway there. I'm thankful for the Spirit. I'm thankful for the responsiveness. I've been thankful for uh, the, the way that this church serves. We just came through a season, uh, this holiday season, uh, where we had an opportunity to be with family and to celebrate good things and to experience uh, safety and goodness in our own homes, right? But we also saw a whole congregation that was aware that there were some people who could not go to their homes and find safety, and they went out to them. I'm thankful for a congregation that's filled with servants that look around and see others broken, hurting, in need, and are desperate to have them know the Savior and to have their needs met. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for a a generous church. Um, Every single year, uh, you guys remind Christina and I, Sweetness, that's her actual name, just how much uh, you love us, not just uh, with your generosity, um, gifts and and cards, uh, but you tell us face to face. And the way that you treat our kids, uh, the safety that they have as we talk about what it's like to grow up as a pastor's kid at Salem Heights, they're not having the same experience that some others are. So we're thankful. I Have a thankful heart, and I pray that you do too. Uh, We have a good God, and he's not done. Amen? I want you to turn. We're back in the book of Acts. That little booklet will be important here uh, over the next few weeks as we go into a new series. That booklet be in uh, the little uh, Acts journal and Bible combination that we had there. We're going to be back in that series. Uh, there should be some notes that are available for you so you can copy them down and pop them in there. Our goal with that, once again, is not that Uh, We don't want you to to be thinking our thoughts or just see what I'm saying or Pete's saying or any other speaker is saying. Uh, What we want you to see is what the Lord has led you to see in Scripture. How is Scripture lined out? We want you as you walk through this to develop this little commentary of things that jump out of the book of Acts that are said right there. We want you to be able to see what Scripture says and then apply it. What is it that he is asking you to apply in your own life? And we pray as we walk through this book. You'll see not only what was happening in the early church, but you'll begin to notice what he's doing in you and in us today. There are some things that were only for that transition that we get to revel in and uh, bless God that he did, but there are some things he still wants to do in us today. Amen? He's not done acting. He's not done being powerful. A lot of Christians sat down and quit looking to him. But we're going to be looking to God to do magnificent things in our life. So turn with me to Acts chapter 6. As you're turning there, um, in the early 1800s, the first days of his uh, presidency, Jefferson, uh, third president of the United States, found himself at the edge of uh, the banks of a river with a whole group of travelers, and when he arrived there, uh, initially on the beginning of the journey, uh, the river was fine to cross, uh, but it had swollen uh, across its banks. Uh, it made passing very difficult. And there was a group of travelers, some by foot, some uh, on horseback, some there uh, with their wagons. And they were all trying to get across this one location. And there was one man who, seeing the swollen river, was uh, deeply concerned. He began to watch as people were going across and having extreme difficulty, some of them getting knocked uh, downstream by uh, just the weight of the water pressing against their horses or against their their rides, uh, however they were getting across and was uh, deeply concerned. He began to look around in the crowd and finally he picks somebody and he picks Thomas Jefferson. He says, will you give me a ride across, sir? And and, uh, he says, yeah. And he pulls him up onto his horse and they together make their way across this river. They finally get to the other side. He drops the man off on dry ground and a group of men gather around very quickly. And they asked, uh, sir, Why were you so audacious as to ask the President of the United States if he would give you the ride? And he's shocked, and he says, I didn't know he was the President, but I just looked around at the entire group, and he was the only one with a yes face. (laughs) There's something about having a yes face that is good for leadership. Isn't that true? There's something about having a yes face that invites other people to find out what it is that you are participating in. The group of people that we're about to study this morning were all folks that were already serving. They were already eager, but the indication of Scripture is that they had said yes. It was written all over their face. It was in their countenance, and it was in their actions. And it's a good template for us to take a look at for our own lives. Acts chapter 6. Let's stand and read seven verses together this morning. This is the choosing of the first deacons. It says, now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching of the word in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. That should be underlined. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paraminas, and... Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, and they set them before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Father, as we take a look at this passage, I pray that you'd open our eyes and that we would see this profound moment in church history. uh, A transition that is happening as the work becomes so great and the needs so many, and yet you had a plan that you allowed your men to enact. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see the need for some of these changes, to see how your spirit had pressed these changes to occur, but, Father, also the blessing to us through the age. Uh, the example that was set at the beginning is a good one to follow. So open our eyes, not only to what precedent was set here, but, Father, what it is you want us to be about today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Tori. Tori once lamented about seminary graduates in his day, he said, we think that if a man is pious and has a college seminary education and comes out of it reasonably orthodox, that he's now ready for our hands to be laid upon him and to be ordained to preach the gospel. But Jesus Christ said no. There's another preparation so essential that a man must not undertake this work until he has received it. Terry, literally, sit down until you are endued with power from on high. This is an important understanding for us. It is the Spirit of God that has been active in the church in all of the stuff that we are reading, and it's the Spirit of God that makes us effective for any good work today. Amen? Now, this is not just true for pastors. It shouldn't be that, well, yeah, we have a pastor that's Spirit-led, and we pray to God that he is, right? Or you are praying right now that he is we got to pray that we are Spirit-led, but it's that every servant would be Spirit-led. And not just every servant, because you might not identify yourself as a known servant. How about this? Every single individual that is saved by God's grace, if you are Spirit-led, you have a place in the church God has called you to, and you are of the same importance as any other office in the church. Do you believe that? That was a pretty meek amen, right? I'm not going to be bothered that you shout out amen, that that role is equal to anything I would ever do. I'm going to praise God for that. We are all given a role. None is superior. All require the Spirit of God in order to be effective. And so here we have a Spirit-led church that is moving forward and significant things are happening. Throughout a unique season in Acts, we see God advance his word among the early believers by impressing them with his power, empowering them to preach, and then proving them through problems. We run into a problem in this passage. I want you to just double down on this thought because it is so unique, and we have to wrap our minds around it. We already have preached through Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, and we've witnessed some things that are happening in the early church, where it says that they were having all things in common, where they were breaking bread from house to house, where none of them was in need, none at all. They were all responsive. So there's a list here, this rare moment in church history, where we see that every one of them in the congregation were in unity. That means that they had one heart. When they looked around the room, they weren't at odds with each other or at odds with the direction, but they were in complete solidarity. We're going that way, and they were all together. They were all spirit-led. Acts 2 and 4 highlight that. Just think about You know, sometimes we make extreme statements when we say all or never. It can be dangerous, right? Especially if you're speaking to your spouse. You don't want to say all or never or this, but this is a moment where they were all spirit-led is significant. Where they were all yielded to godly leaders. They all were aware of the true concerns that were in the church. Are you aware of all the appropriate concerns that we have in the church? Are you aware of which ones are true and which ones are just irritations that should be set aside? You'll know if you're spirit led. If you're led by the spirit, God will help you be be able to sort out what to speak up about and what to lay aside. We should not have a silent church. Concerns should be raised. Amen. We should have a place for that. But they should be godly concerns. They were all aware of what the true and godly concerns were. They were all revered in the community. The way that they followed God, the way that they treated each other, the way that they treated outsiders, even if they did not like them, they loved the example. They all were generous. This is broken down over and over and over again as a supernatural sign that the Spirit of God had moved in to men. All were in awe of God. I, I want you to think about this. These are not statements that were said of Israel in the desert. Okay, when they're coming up out of Egypt, they had a lot of complaints and a lot of concerns, and God is going through that part of the Old Testament, right? Exodus and Numbers, uh, those early days when Joshua trying to lead them, and it's as if God has got His finger in His ear, saying, "Man, please stop the complaining." They weren't complaining about righteous things. They were complaining about earthly things with no view to what God was about. By the way, it's also not things that are said of the church today. Paul begins a new relationship where he says, after Acts chapter 20, he warns them, hey, the days are coming when we're not all going to be spirit-led like we were at the beginning. There's coming days where wolves will jump in, where Laodiceans will be participating in the church where the broken will have a stronger voice than the Spirit led. Be careful, be discerning, be thoughtful. So this is a unique time in church history. With that said, in the middle of this unique time, in the middle of all this unity, in the middle of all this activity of the Spirit, an awkward problem arose. Verse one, it says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Hebrews. Two different groups that were in the church. This is one of those oops moments, okay? What were the Hellenists? What were the Hebrews? If you want to just generically understand it this way, those that were Hebrew speakers were ones who were constantly in and around Jerusalem. They lived in that area. The Hellenists are those from the outside, Greek-speaking people that were coming into the area to worship. Then they hear the truth about Jesus and they stay. This is an important understanding as we're trying to figure out what is happening. This is a a place where they were supposed to come. They've all come to worship, and the widows that were with them and among them that had come to Christ had lined up with everybody else when their needs were being met. So the church would gather funds, would gather food to take care of them, and they would uh, set out food. They would set out provisions. They would make sure they were taken care of. And the complaint was that one group was getting taken care of differently than another. The, the word overlooked here does not mean rejected. I want you to understand that. The word overlooked has to do with proximity to those who are handing the stuff out. How is it that you could be overlooked if you were a Greek and have it not be bigotry? Well, if you've lived in an area and you don't have telephones, you don't have communication, you're working on how you get that information out, how do you get your supplies? It's networking, right? I didn't know all these people, so who do I go to? Well, you know, Biff over here is always taking good care of me, and she goes to Biff, but the Greeks don't know Biff. Biff is not a Greek name. I was trying to pick something that uh, wouldn't offend. The problem in this scenario is logistics. It is not bigotry. You need to understand that. It is possible that an actual need of yours is not getting met in the church And it's not because people hate you. How often do we jump to bigotry or they just don't like me or I'm just not attractive enough to them or I'm just not important? How often do we go straight to the bottom? In this scenario, that's not what's going on. It's just a matter of logistics. A bunch of the Greek-speaking guys didn't know the area. They're coming from the outside also trying to come in to worship because they don't live in the area. They don't have homes in there. And so they're all trying to figure out how to get along together as they're worshiping and learning more about Christ. This problem arose, and instantly, instead of being offended at the question, instead of being overwhelmed, the leaders look around and say, man, that is right, and they begin to address it. But they addressed it in an important way. They started by investigating the priorities, super important. Leadership priorities were clarified in verses 2 and 4, It says, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, now get this statement and see if it settles good with you in today's church. They met with the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching to serve tables. I want you to just think about that and see if you read that as an American with the right voice. All right. When you hear it's not right for us to serve tables, Don't raise your hand, but I'm guessing a few of you are getting a little offended at the leaders. Who are they? Look at verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now the first thing that we have to agree is that wherever transformed hearts are, there is a trail of met needs. Sanctification and servanthood go side by side. All right? If you are saved and you are sanctified, you're going to be looking around at those that are hurting or have less or are broken, and you're going to reach down and meet a need. You're going to reach across and bless a brother. You're going to connect in some way. That is part of what the Spirit of God does. That's important. Transformed hearts meet needs. That is what's going on in this congregation. They are not saying that it is wrong to meet those needs. They're not saying that they are higher than those who meet the needs. They're declaring their calling. I want you to understand, without evaluation, bad decisions get made. Do you believe that? Uh, There's a website uh, called, uh, or a a statement made, uh, Why Women Live Longer Than Men. It may be possible that you've asked yourself, why do they name me Sparky? Right? (laughs) Should have evaluated that. It it might be possible that you said, man, we've got the pool, but how do we bring the party? Right? Yes, that's electrical wire floating on flip-flops. It might be possible you're saying, man, I just want to dig a couple more inches. That's going to turn out well. Or you might be saying, hey, brother, could you just hold me for a second while I take care of this? You see a family in the park, and you might say to yourself, you know what? I can get you a little bit of shade. That is not a good picnic, by the way. That, that tractor is scary. You might be saying, man, I, I know what to do when my hedge trimmer breaks. That man's just a genius is all we're agreeing with right now. Or you might be saying, you know what? I don't want to walk all the way over there. Let's just do it here. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I think I had that surgery. It was super uncomfortable. Without evaluation, bad decisions are made. This is the statement I want us to tackle, and I want us to walk away understanding it perfectly. When they said, it is not right, do you know that at that very moment the disciples were not worried what anybody said in regard to that statement? When they said, it is not right, they're looking to the living God saying, we've been given an assignment, and we better understand why this explosion of faith is happening. It's not because of us, it's not because of our organization, it's not because of the PR that is produced by doing good things, it's because of the Word of God being activated by the Spirit of God in the lives of the children of God, amen? Amen. And if the Word of God is not rich, we lose our way. Uh, If a train engineer were part of just, you know, had one little box behind him of people, It may be possible for him to stick coal into the engine, right, in the old days of a steam engine, be able to make sure it was going the appropriate speed, and then jump back in the back and be able to serve those that were on the train with him. You add a couple of cars to that, and it gets a little crazy. Can you imagine what the people would say if he neglected the engine and did not put coal in that engine, did not take care to steer it accurately? And the engine either explodes or stops going as he is in the back serving, putting on his tables. Now, are the people important? Yeah, the whole reason that the train is going from one place to another is that they have paid a ticket to go from one place to another, and it's the most efficient way to get them from one place to another. It has great value. The people have great value. But the engineer has to remember his place. Imagine for a moment a doctor with great bedside manner. And they're always at your side. And as you see them working with people, they're still using methods from the 1930s or the 1950s. When you ask them about it, they say, Well, I don't have time to study this. I don't have time to go practice new techniques. I want to make sure that you know that I'm taking care of you. Would you appreciate that doctor when it came to brain surgery? Right? To some significant moment in your life that required updated skills? When they say it's not right, they're not saying that it is wrong to serve on tables or it's beneath them to serve on tables. They're saying that our calling is this, and it would be wrong to go against our calling to fulfill your calling. There's somebody here that is called. That's what they're saying. It'd be wrong for us to do it all. We would be getting the glory. We would be doing it for the praise of men. In the ministry, I just wrote down some thoughts this last week. There is a constant, unyielding, intense pull to other things, other than the Word, other than study, other than preparation. The Word, according to Scripture, is the engine that drives all of the growth. The Spirit of God using the Word of God in the child of God. Word of God is central. If it's going to grow, if you're going to serve, if you're going to be a part of outreach and you don't have the Word, well, now you're just part of a project. If you're not driven by Scripture to do what you do, you're not thinking God's thoughts. And who will keep us focused on that direction? There are different ones that are called to do that. I heard a pastor tell of a a moment that he had with his mentor, and he said his mentor looked at him and he said, "I, I would need you to understand something. In a church of a hundred, which is the average church in America, if you arrive at the pulpit unprepared, you have just wasted a hundred hours of God's time. You better be prepared, no matter what other people think. You get on your knees, you get in the Word, and you so prepare that it's no longer you, it's the Lord. The priorities were clarified. But then qualified people were identified. This is important. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint this day. Here are these qualifications. Special expectations. The first thing that I want you to notice is the names that they did. They were all qualified because of their background. If you look at these names and you look them up in the original language, you're going to find out it's not transliterated names. These are literally Greek speakers and Greek names. Who is going to understand the needs more than those people who have been there? Have you ever been in a ministry like that? God uses people who have been there as a great choice for people who are there. Who's going to be able to identify the Greek speakers? Who's going to be able to identify their needs? Who's going to be able to speak to them most plainly? Who's going to be the most empathetic? It's folks who have been right in that place. Can I give you just uh, item A, right, in our legal court case this morning? Be bold, ministries. You have a group of guys who have been there who we praise God for. Amen? Amen. And they can best identify the needs of people who are there. And we ought to give strong support to those who serve in that way. They were people who had the qualified background, but also they were qualified by proximity. You want to know what these names are? These are names of people who were always there helping. They're probably part of the group that said, hey, we're a little bit concerned because these folks are getting overlooked when these folks are getting well served. How do we answer that need? It was a spirit-led question. How do we take care of the needs of the broken that are in our midst right now? We're missing something, folks. And these people were always there helping. They always had a right attitude. And they were qualified, meeting God's expectations. There was a list here uh, that they would have a good reputation, that they would be full of the Spirit, that they would be wise, and they would be willing. That's the list. Now, when we get out of the age where every single person agreed and every single person was Spirit-led, Paul gives to Timothy, a young man in the faith, orders for how to order the church. And he actually gave him a list and said, hey, I want you to add to this. Get the elders together and have them identify people with a list. 1 Timothy 3, 8-13 gives us these expectations that are still on us today. Deacons, that's servants that we first see in Acts chapter 6 here identified as a category of people. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There's a great benefit to being a leader. Let them handle that carefully. There are still expectations today these qualified people were identified but as the church began to go out as they began to go out and now meet the needs in a fuller way what happened they took a moment they evaluated what was the problem they considered what was going on among them But it just wasn't an internal thing, an an internal look. They were doing something internally that caused the people on the outside to consider that, to consider the Lord and to consider what was happening there. It says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The Word's power was magnified. I want you to underline and make sure that you see this in your own Bible. There's a couple of phrases in there that are really important, but I want you to see what it was that continued to increase. When you think of the book of Acts, when you think of the church in the book of Acts, when you think of the people in the book of Acts, what is it you continually think about that is increasing? We think of an increasing number of people. We think of an increasing number of of folks that are impressed with them, their fame in the community and all these things. What is it that is increasing? Well, it says right here that the word of God continued to increase. And the literal idea is that the word, when it is followed, is so profound, it will begin to work its way into the lives of believers and so transform those individuals. They act differently, they live differently, the results are different, and it causes an increase in every single way people are blessed to be around those who quote scripture do you know that who are constantly in the word constantly blessed by the word the word of god began to increase and it added to their number people on the inside people that were being added to their number because they gave their lives to christ and even the priests became obedient to the faith What was the hardest class of individuals to reach in that day in Jerusalem with the message of the cross? People who were ingrained in teaching something different. They had religion that was near, but not true. These people are being won over. And what was the transformation? The word being followed caused the increase. A few years ago, uh, as a leadership team, we uh, had a directory. At, at that time, uh, it was a lot smaller than this. In fact, it was about literally half this size. Smaller number of, of people in there. But we had begun at our leadership team retreats for a season to go through the directory. And as elders, uh, we're called to know those people who are here. So we just began to go through name by name. Uh, Do we know this individual? What do we know about that individual? What prayer requests would that individual have? And as we began to go through uh, the directory, uh, first uh, look was to consider, do we know them? Um, Do they feel like they have a place? But then we began to ask the question, are they plugged in? Our desire was not that we wanted every single person to come in and benefit us, but we wanted every single person in the directory to feel useful. So we began to go through, and what we were shocked by was not just that those that were in the directory were plugged in, but that to many of the names, in fact, the majority... Of that directory of people who said, We want to be known as a Salem hider, the bulk of those people were involved in not one, but two or three different ministries serving and blessing and connecting with other people. It was an awesome thing to work through. We are in a church full of people who love Jesus not because they're told to. Do you know that? They love Jesus because he is worthy. And the proof of that is that we're going to serve one another. We're going to bless one another. I have a question for you, a few of them. Uh, I think when uh, I was preparing this message and some of the guys saw the notes, they they thought maybe this was poke you in the eye Sunday. Uh, It's not. My prayer is that this will be a real source of reflection. But when we see what happened It was very quickly. We aren't told that the church had to go away and try to figure out who was a good leader or try to figure out who was it that was a servant. Instantly, they come back with seven names. You only get seven? Okay, here they are. And they begin to spit them out. It led me to think in my own mind. If the church were asked to name people who were spiritually deep, financially generous, filled with compassion, and always serving... Would they pick you? A follow-up question for me is, do I know enough about those around me that I might be able to name somebody to that list? Am I aware of godly servants? Do I know who it is that is constantly concerned for the people around them? for others, and they serve in such a way that God is glorified. And the final question that comes to my mind is, would making a list like this spark jealousy in you or praise? If it sparks jealousy, it's because you're not making that out of the Spirit. But if it sparks praise, it's because the Lord has allowed you to be a part in fellowship with other people who are sold out to the living God, and that is something to praise God for. Amen? This is a moment where, uh, in the Old Testament, they would say, Selah. Pause and think about it. Where are you in regards to this passage? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment that we can reflect on in church history, for the significance of it. This is a a passage that calls us to account. Uh, It highlights all the beautiful things that were happening in That season, but Father, also it reminds us that we are called not just to come and to have a few wonderful moments on a Sunday morning, but we are called to give our lives. You have called us to be family members. There are chores that a family does, there is a work that a family participates in, there are things that we will do to make sure that we don't hinder the family. Father, help us to be aware of that. Our place, our calling, But most of all, your good pleasure when we follow through. You're a good God and worthy of our service and praise. Help us to commit to that. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.